0: Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldick, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of Scripture. In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full-time rancher, having a down-to-earth practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, videotape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson.
1: Okay, back to Galatians chapter 1. For those of you here in the studio and for those of you joining us on television, we trust that you're doing the same thing. Take your Bible and read and study with us. Uh, I think we'll just jump right into the text because we didn't get as far last program as I intended to, so I'm going to dispense with any announcements. And come right back now, if you will, to Galatians chapter 1. And we left off at verse 18, where Paul had now finished his three years hiatus with evidently the Lord alone down in Mount Sinai in Arabia. And I think, uh, as one person asked me, well, why did it take three years? Well, I flippantly answered, it probably took two and a half years to get Judaism out of his system. And she, having come out of a religion herself, she said, yeah, that makes sense. She said, it took me forever to get my old religion out of my system. And, and this is a possibility, you know, because Saul of Tarsus had been a Jew's Jew, a Hebrew of the Hebrew, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and educated at the feet of the greatest rabbi of that time. So you know he was saturated with Judaism. He was more religious than many of his peers. And he was human. And you know, we're all human. And when we have had something drummed into us for years and years, boy, it does take. It takes the power of God to cleanse us of all that. And see, there is such a stark difference between Judaism and all of its rules and regulations and law-keeping and Phariseeism on the part of Paul And then to step into the grace of God and receive all of this free for nothing without lifting a finger, hey, that flies in the face of human thinking. But this is where we have to begin. Now, we don't stay there, of course. That's where we begin. That's where salvation comes in, is when we just say, Lord, there's nothing I can do, but I believe you've done it all. And I believe that on top of dying for me, you rose from the dead. I believe it. Yeah, then God expects us to move out and live a life of service. And uh, some to more extent than others, of course. But He does not expect us to just simply... Uh, rest in that saving grace and do nothing about it but we're to move on and that's the whole thrilling part I'll just sharing in our break time with with a young man in our television audience in a distant state and he came out of one of these binding religions and oh, you know he is so thrilled he just calls time after time and he's seen another truth and he just he can't he can't get over it that he had been blinded to all this for so long And now he's begun a Bible study on his own, and uh, I think last night was his third Bible study. And he was so thrilled. He said, Les, he said, I just can't wait until tonight. Well, that's the way it goes, see, when you come out from underneath all of that pressure of a religion, of legalism, you have to do this, you have to do that. And then to step into the freedom of grace, it is. It's just like setting a bird free out of its cage, see? All right, now this is where the Apostle Paul is coming from. He has been weighed down with Judaism and all of its demands of a religious leader. And now he's been set free. So he's had three years to shed himself of all that and to absorb, not all, I maintain that the things that he brings out in his prison epistles of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, he probably had revealed to him while he was in prison in Caesarea. Uh, before he got to Rome, because see, then by the time he gets to Rome, all these new revelations are fresh on his mind as he begins then to write those letters. But back here in his earlier epistles, I think all of these tremendous doctrines that are so separated from legalism and Judaism, and yet all fits, see, I mean, it isn't something that just is, is like a thorn in the rest of Scripture, no, it all fits. In fact, uh, I may have shared it uh, with some of you in, in our uh, midweek class, but I had a lady also call from a distant state. And uh, she said, well, now, yesterday morning, our sermon was the verse in Matthew 19, where the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? And said, Jesus said, keep the commandments. Well, that's right. Was this morning's program, you came out and said, we're not under the commandments, we're under grace. I said, I'm confused. Well, I said, have you got a few minutes? And she said, yes. I said, well, let me just give you a one-on-one Bible study. And so I brought her up all through the Abrahamic covenants and Christ's earthly ministry and Israel's rejection and the raising of Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul and the revelation of the mysteries and how that now since the work of the cross was complete, He had been resurrected from the dead. He had gone back to glory and revealed these truths, how that now there was no need to work. It's all done. All right, now this is what the man is trying to get across. And so he says, Now, after being three years at Sinai, he said um, in verse 18, where we end in our last program, After the three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and bode with him 15 days. Now, that's only two weeks in a day. But other of the apostles, the other eleven, I saw none except James, the Lord's brother. That exception, see? Now verse 20. Now the things which I write unto you. Now come back again. Who's he writing to? The Gentiles up in Galatia. He's writing to us. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Sound familiar? What did he say in the Corinthians? I didn't bring you a corrupt message. I didn't bring you something that's been adulterated. And now here we have it in a little different language, but it's the same thought. I'm not bringing you something that's false. Before God I lie not. All right, verse 21. Afterwards, after he had been to Jerusalem, and the three years with the Lord at Sinai, then after he is now ready to fulfill that commission to go to the Gentiles that we saw in the last program back in Acts chapter 9, then he said, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Now, I think most of you know your Bible geography well enough to know. That Cilicia was just around the corner of the Mediterranean. I well, suppose maybe I should put it on the on the board again. My my makeshift map down here is Jerusalem, but up here along the river valley, a few miles in from the Mediterranean Sea, was the city of Tarsus, and this particular state was called Cilicia. That was Saul's hometown area of Tarsus. So he's not that far removed from Palestine, but yet he is in total. Gentile territory when he begins his ministry after the two weeks with Peter. He goes from Jerusalem directly up to his home area of Cilicia. All right, now let's carry on. Verse 22, unknown by face to the assemblies or the churches of Judea who are in Christ. Now, why did the Holy Spirit inspire the man to make a statement like that? Why is he letting us know that he had nothing to do with those Jewish congregations in Palestine? Because, you see, this man is going to be separated from all that. He has no ministry to the Jews there in Judea. No more than the Twelve had a ministry to the Gentiles when Jesus sent them out. You see the difference? It's just a complete fork in the road. This man is going to be sent to the very opposite direction that Peter and the apostles were sent. And so he goes up into a total new Gentile area wherein, of course, there were some Jews, no doubt. They were in all areas of the Roman Empire. But he goes into Gentile territory in the area of Cilicia and Tarsus. All right, verse 23. But these Jewish believers down in the area of Jerusalem and Judea had heard only, they hadn't seen him, but they had heard via the grapevine, that he who persecuted us, in other words, the one who had tried to stamp out Jewish believers of the Messiah, that he who persecuted us in times past is now preaching The faith that is concerning Jesus the Lord Christ, which once he destroyed, and so they glorified. God in me. Of course. Why not? Because after all, it's the same God. It's the same Christ. But whereas the Jewish believers had come in by virtue of the kingdom economy and the kingdom gospel, yet this man now is going in a different direction but still serving the same God. And don't lose sight of that because somebody sent me an article the other day where there are theologians who are trying to promote the theory that the Apostle Paul, even though he was the founder of Christianity, was in complete contradiction to the teachings of Jesus. How can you come to such a conclusion when he says over and over, just for example, turn to Ephesians chapter 3, because I'm sure you're going to hear more of this. You're going to hear more of it, because it makes for good book sales. And so these men are writing how that Paul was the founder of Christianity, but it's a Christianity that is in total opposition to what Jesus taught. No, it's not in opposition. It's a difference. It's not under law. It's under grace. But it's the same God. It's the same Christ. And so, how can they say that He was in direct opposition to the teachings of Christ when in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1? For this cause, in other words, because of what is written in chapter 2, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of whom? Jesus Christ. But for whose purposes? You Gentiles. See it again. For I am the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Well, he's not in opposition to the teachings of Jesus. It's an extension of them that now that the life of Christ was culminated there at the cross and then picked up in resurrection power, of course that makes it different. But it's still the same God. All right, back to Galatians verse 1, chapter 2. Then, now remember, everything that's come along, we've seen Him saved on the road to Damascus. We've seen Him spend three years whether it was divided between Arabia and Damascus, or whether it is, as I feel, all in Arabia. There's still a three-year gap in here. And so, 14 years after. Well, after what? After his conversion, see? Now, here are just once in a while where the Lord has seen fit to give us the time element. And the chronologers, of course, can jump on this, and they can pretty much reconstruct the whole timetable, even though there is nothing definitive. And consequently, I have not found two chronologers that agree. They're always at least a few years apart on their estimation of some of these things. But here is one benchmark. Here Paul says that 14 years after his conversion on the road to Damascus, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Now, that should ring a bell. Where did Paul hook up with Barnabas? Well, up at Antioch. And when did he get to Antioch? After he had been up to Cilicia. So, we know that there's a time frame in there between his conversion and this council in Jerusalem. Now, I think, again, most chronologists feel that this council in Jerusalem was somewhere around 51 or 52 A.D., I hope I can do my arithmetic. Uh, I'm always afraid that when I get on the board and people are watching me, I'll, I'll make some gruesome, simple arithmetic mistake. But you want to remember now that Christ was crucified and Pentecost took place in 29 A.D. Then I feel, and again the chronologers, that is these people who determine the time elements in Scripture, are not all agreed, but I feel that there was a seven-year interval between Pentecost and the stoning of Stephen, which would be in 36, is when Saul was at the height of his persecuting those Jewish believers and had brought about the stoning of Stephen. Then in the next year, Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus, which would then plus three, take you up to 40 when he went to Cilicia but if he went back up to Jerusalem here in Galatians chapter 2 14 years after 37 that takes you up to 51 AD now the only reason I do this is to show that all during the book of Acts Time is moving on. This isn't all happening just in a year or so. Time has been going by. And now here we have been 14 years after his conversion. He has been out in the Gentile world preaching his gospel of grace. And in the meantime, as we saw in the Corinthian letters in our previous programs, the Judaizers from Jerusalem are opposing him at every turn. All right, now let me show you where the Scripture makes that so plain. We have to go back to the book of Acts again. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. And I maintain, and again, not everybody's going to agree with me, but I maintain that this consul in Jerusalem in Acts 15 is Luke's account, whereas in Galatians chapter 2, it's the same consul, but it's Paul's account. And they all jog. All right, now then... uh, Let's go back to Acts 15 first. Acts 15, verse 1. Certain men who came down from Judea taught the brethren. Now, look at that. Analyze it. What kind of Jews would come into a Gentile congregation and begin to teach them? Well, not the Orthodox, Not the Pharisees. They wouldn't have anything to do with something like this. After all, what were Gentiles in the mind of a Pharisee? They were dirty dogs. See? So they certainly wouldn't. So who must have been coming into these Gentile congregations? Jewish believers that Jesus was the Christ. Now, they weren't believers of Paul's gospel. They were still believers that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the Messiah of Israel. And so, they are still under the law. Now, a lot of people don't realize that. That those early Jewish believers under Peter's preaching were still law-keeping Jews. My, it's so evident. And I don't have to show you the Scripture. You remember when Peter had the vision of the sheet and all these creatures were in there and they came down? And what did the Lord command Peter to do? Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And would Peter answer, No way, Lord, why? I have never eaten anything unclean. Why hadn't he? Hey, a law-keeping Jew. It had to be kosher or Peter wouldn't eat it. And then a little later he gets up to the house of Cornelius, and as he is with trepidation, you know, I've always put it this way, from Joppa, where the Lord revealed all this to Peter, until he gets up to the house of Cornelius, some 80, 90 miles up the coast. I've always said there must have been heel prints in the sand where the Lord just pushed him and pushed him and pushed him because Peter didn't want to go no more than Jonah did. And so he gets to the door of Cornelius' house and still with trepidation, what's the last thing he says before he steps in? Now, Cornelius, you know, it's an unlawful thing for me, a Jew, to keep company with a man of another nation? Well, why does he say something like that if he's set free? Well, he wasn't set free. He was still a legal-keeping Jew, see? Now, those same kind of believing Jews then who were under Peter's control there at Jerusalem, Oh, they had had maintained a separation, but they were still temple worshipers. They can't ever prove to me that they weren't. And they were still legalistic Jews, but they had recognized Christ as the Messiah. All right, now come back to Acts chapter 15. And so verse 1 says, "...these certain men came down from Judea, and they taught the brethren, these Gentile brethren, and they said..." except or unless you be circumcised after the manner of Moses. (coughs) What? You cannot be saved. That's what your Bible says. All right, read on. Verse 2. When therefore, because of this kind of false teaching coming into their midst, which Paul had to constantly refute, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, arguing with them, and disputation, they, all of them together, determined that Paul and Barnabas, and certain others of them, should go up to Jerusalem, to the wheels, I call them, Peter and the eleven, and unto the apostles and the elders about this question. Alright, now then jump for sake of time all the way down to verse five. They get to Jerusalem. And what do they run into in this big meeting of the Jerusalem believers? Now, believers that Jesus was the Christ, the ones that Saul had been trying to stamp out, and Paul and Barnabas. Here is the meeting. And there rose up certain of the sect of Pharisees. But what kind of Pharisees? Believing Pharisees. They had... Embraced Jesus of Nazareth as their Messiah. They're not the, the whited sepulchers who were religious but had nothing. No, these were Pharisees who had seen the light that Christ was who He said He was. That's what it says. They were Pharisees who believed. And these Pharisees said what? <clears throat> that it was needful to circumcise them But it doesn't stop there. Now, look at that. Analyze it. Not only were these Gentiles to be circumcised, but they were to be commanded, like I pointed out in Matthew 10 that Jesus did to the Twelve. He commanded them to go not into the way of the Gentile. These Pharisees are commanding these Gentile believers of Paul's gospel based on faith alone That not only do they practice circumcision, but they have to what? Keep the law. See? They have to keep the law, or they couldn't be saved. All right, verse 6. Here is the bone of contention between the Jerusalem Jewish believers (coughs) and these Gentile converts that Saul or Paul has now won up there in Antioch. Can you see the argument? Oh, listen, we've got to understand this because this is where Christianity is at today. We are being deluged with the same demands that, oh, yeah, we believe the gospel, but it's not enough alone. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You have to come this way or you have to come this way. And listen, Paul's gospel will have none of it. God through Christ in this age of grace will have none of it. And we'll see that several weeks down the road when we get to Galatians chapter 5. But all right, here was the need for this council then to consider this. And now then I'd like to have you come back to Galatians chapter 2 before we run out of time. So here we are, 51 A.D., long time after Pentecost. That makes it about 22 years if I use my right arithmetic. 22 years after Pentecost, they are still debating. Can you be saved by faith alone? Or do you have to keep the law of Moses and practice circumcision? All right, verse 2. Paul says, I went up by revelation. Now, when you see that word revelation in Paul's letters, what does that mean? The Lord spoke it. The Lord evidently told Paul, all right, Paul. Now it's time to get up to Jerusalem and confront the twelve. We have to settle this because otherwise we'll, we'll never be able to move out into the Gentile world. So he says, I went up by revelation and I communicated unto them. Underline, if you don't mind doing it in your Bible, the word that. You say, well, that's not an important word. It's all important in this verse. And I communicated unto them that gospel which gospel? Which I preach among the heathen.
0: Thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Felding. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldick Ministries. Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. That's Les Feldick Ministries. Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. Or you can call us toll-free if you'd like at 1-800-369-7856. That's one 1-800- 800 Three six nine seven eight five six. Remember, this is a faith ministry and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldick Ministries Route 1, Box 760 Kenta, Oklahoma 74552 And our phone is 1-800-369-7856 Thanks again for listening and please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick